This is Women Who Build Empires, a podcast celebrating women entrepreneurs and thought leaders who are turning the tables on outdated old school belief systems and building business empires that align with who they are, how they work, and how they are leaving a lasting legacy. And I'm your host, Emmy Kirshner, serial entrepreneur, investor, and business consultant for ambitious women entrepreneurs who are boldly taking their business to the next level. In each episode, you're going to get to know the women who are unafraid to put it all on the line as they share the stories of how both success and failure have helped them become incredible CEOs. Hey, Empresses. You know that slightly annoying voice that can take you from zero to 100, worrying about something that probably didn't matter 10 minutes ago? Today's guest, Rachel Ryder, who is the founder of MetaWorks, is going to share how to take control of that voice and use it to your advantage so you can continue to build your business or your career and have the life that you want. Hey, Rachel, welcome to the Women Who Build Empires podcast. I am so excited to have you, mostly because what you do aligns with a lot of what not only I believe, but how I practice in my daily life and really coming from a place of being, I'm going to say, aware of what's going on with you internally. But before I delve off into my own my own uh, way of explaining everything, share with everybody who you are, what you do, and the magic that you make. Absolutely. It's so good to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, it's my pleasure to chat today. I love talking about things that light me up inside and the work I do really does. And as I've been on my own entrepreneurial journey, I've I've really been more vocal about the work I do. It used to be the magic behind the scenes. And so it really feels like I'm leaning into, hey, this is what we do here. Um, so I'm an executive coach and the founder of MetaWorks, and we are a small coaching shop that works with the leaders of organizations to, they're already powerful. So it's really helping them understand their relationship with themselves so that they can actually leverage their relationships with those in their business, because at the highest levels of an organization, that's really your bread and butter is your relationships. The deliverables are what everybody else does. You manage your relationships. That's the premise of our work. And so that first relationship starts with you. What's your relationship with yourself? And that's really the premise of who you are is how you lead, which I recently has come out. Um, you can check it out on Amazon. But the 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 premise is that really the work we do is with leaders who... Um, can really focus on themselves and their relationships and their organizations to be successful. How do you feel or how with the clients that you've seen and the results that you achieve, what's changing for people once they have an improved relationship with themselves and where are people stuck? Folks usually don't come to me and they're like, I need to change my relationship with myself. Right. <laughs> um, I just actually recently worked with a co-founder pair about the relationship between them and how it was really disrupting the organization. People were leveraging the discord between them to get 
you know, it's like good cop, bad cop. They'd go to the good cop to say yes and, you know, circumvent the bad cop. And it was really disruptive. So they came to me saying, we got to figure this out. We got to work differently together. And so usually folks reach out to me as a result of something's not working in their organization. I also have leaders coming to me saying, I'm at the top of my organization. I'm doing well. And yet I'm still exhausted. Like I'm super successful. This is exactly where I wanted to be. I'm exhausted, burnt out. I'm not leveraging my team effectively, even though I have a fabulous team. And so though they didn't come and say, hey, I need to figure out what's going on inside me, that's the place we begin. Um, And so I'm not sure if I answered your question. Did I leave? It did. Great. (laughs) Yeah. Because for me, I mean, first of all, I don't think anybody's walking around. Well, maybe there's a few of us, but most people are not walking around, as as you said, like, oh, I need to change the relationship that I have with myself because it's blah, 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 holding me up from, but I'm sure people are thinking exactly what you said. I'm burnt out. I'm exhausted. There's something that's holding me back. I don't know what it is. And, and I've seen it with my clients too, where as they start to shift and feel more grounded, feel more connected to themselves and more confident, how they're building those relationships with their team members changes. And for me, at least, and tell me if you agree or you see different patterns too, those, those relationships and being able to kind of pour into other people and have them level up with you and sometimes even beyond beyond you really creates a very strong unified team network, but also really strong business. This is what I have found is so interesting. One of the most common <laughs> phrases I hear when after the work we do together is nothing has changed, but everything has changed. And that doesn't sound at first, you're like, oh, that's not great. But actually, that it means that the person didn't have to burn down their life, didn't have to walk away from this beautiful role that they have, didn't have to disrupt their family system. In fact, the beautiful life they created, they can now enjoy the abundance of, they can now appreciate their success. They can now sleep better at night because of that orientation to the relationship to within yourself, but also others. When you work on the fabric of the interpersonal, it's like the the issues, the stress falls away. So often leaders are taking on the psychological burden of, oh, did we do this? And how did we manage this? And the more we lean into our relationships at our company, starting with ourselves, the less we're obsessing because we know someone else has that psychological burden or that they're going to come to you when something something's an issue. So attending to the relationship piece, it, it, like it fills the cup that's already there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, for me, it's really cool because it's, and I've seen this in different places too. It's like, you're changing how you're interacting with yourself. So sometimes there's some friction as that shifts because people aren't used to whatever it is that you're now doing or you're how you're treating yourself, but then everybody levels up with you. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The, the, the more, and it's funny in the beginning of the work, when a leader's changing their communication style, I hear this, like my team doesn't, isn't responding 
the same way or they don't believe me. And it's like, well, that makes sense because you've trained them for years in all this yeah. communication style and habits. So let's just keep reinforcing and keep reinforcing. And um, that's really nurturing the new habit so that it actually is a clear habit that everyone believes you <laughs> when you show up instead of angry, you're curious, you know, and that then, yes, people respond differently. And it really cascades through the organization. How did you come into this work? Um, I read on your website that in your corporate career before starting this business, you were asked to lay off 60 people. Yeah, it's so funny now. Uh, if you follow the news, it's nothing. You know, Google and Facebook, I mean, tens of thousands of people now just by email. And so um, it pales in comparison. At the time, 15 years ago, it was a lot. And we did it in person, each person individually. We had a face-to-face -face meeting, which is no fun for the HR professional, but I think is certainly more validating to the individual. I can't imagine those people fired by email. But I was in a time in my life and my career where I was really taking off. I was in a sexy fintech company. We, you know, it was very successful itself. I was moving up the ranks in HR. And a part of my role was to terminate employees. It was also to, you know, make sure employees were being communicated to effectively, that organizations were running well. And part of my role was termination. And the, the remit I was given was I needed to um, cut about 10% of this organization. And I needed to partner with a leader to identify the people and then sit in the room with them. And I actually really enjoyed my job. And sometimes we did that. And sometimes it made sense to me. The organization wasn't operating well or folks weren't performing. This was a place that really conflicted with my value system. And it was deeply upsetting to me. It kind of disrupted the foundation of what I thought my career trajectory would be. And um, at the time, I wasn't in a position to just quit. You know, I, I think, you know, I think my heart goes out so much to folks who are complicit in things that are so harmful to other human beings because of them not feeling like they have a choice in the moment. And, you know, that's, that was me. And so the best I could do was for my, me, I, I'm a Buddhist practitioner. I've had a Buddhist practice since I was 13. And I did about three vows for each employee that we fired that day. And I said their name out loud and I asked that their life go well. For me, I, I'm a spiritual person. I really do believe that helped in the terrible karma I was creating by, you know, enforcing this, this goal I was given. Um, but after completing that, despite being celebrated for how well I ran it, for, for having an opportunity to be promoted, it was clear to me that I could no longer sit in a role that conflicted with my own value set. And so I really pursued the, the other end of that instead of the termination part, the how do I help people be successful in an organization? And really from there, I sat in-house as the coach in a couple of other tech companies and then built my own company to service those tech companies. Which I think is fantastic. I can't even imagine getting an email saying, hey, we no longer need you. Like that's not, mm -hmm. that's not okay. Like that's, yeah. it's inhuman to me because that's not necessarily a huge blow, but it's, it's a huge disruption in somebody's life, whether they're expecting it or not. 
And it's just so uncaring at a time where we need, I think, more care and more empathy with each other and just the world in general. Yeah. And I think there's something that's really detrimental in doing it. I understand when you're laying up 12,000 people, it's hard to have all those conversations. And with that being said, to not even have a place to have a voice, you know, in these meetings with folks, there wasn't a choice. You know, I wasn't saying you get to choose if you're terminated or not, but they at least had a platform to say, this is outrageous or to be heard and witnessed. And I think that that, you know, speaking of that interpersonal relationship piece that even when in a moment of a decision being made for you to be heard and witnessed and you saying, I'm not okay with this. I feel really disappointed to have a closing goodbye is very profoundly important because at the end of the day, that's all we have is relationships. I don't know if you read recently the Harvard, is it the Harvard Business Review, I think came out with this study about how happiness over, you know, they did a measure of happiness over many, many years, decades. And the common thread of those who are most happy are those who have strong relationships, healthy relationships. And so it just further supports my work. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And I I have not read it. I think I actually have it sitting on my bedside table. That issue. (laughs) How did you make the shift? And from corporate to starting your own business, um, I know, I mean, you've gone through a number of different certifications. Uh, mm-hmm. How has that all brought you to where you are right now? I'm trying to decide how I want to answer that question. I'll start with the pragmatic approach because I am very pragmatic. As spiritual as I am, I also, I like backup plans and structure and um, safety. <laughs> So what I did is actually, I became an in-house coach at a tech company, a smaller tech company than the one I left. Um, They asked me to stand up an internal coaching program, which meant we built a coaching program for leaders within the company. And while I was doing that, I started my own company with the blessings of the company I worked for. And they were happy for me to get a pulse on other companies in the space. I was working with Squarespace, you know, other sexy tech names. And so it was nice because I was coaching other leaders and had a sense of what was going on in the industry and could then also coach inside. And so for me, that felt like a really safe place for me to experiment with my pricing, with my confidence. And, you know, without feeling desperate, I could, you know, be running my my company on the side while in-house really feeling like I could do what I wanted because I wasn't um, at the mercy of someone saying yes or no to me in my own business. And so the blessing of that is I really built a reputation. Um, I I went to another tech company in-house building coaching programming while running my business on the side. But I did want to acknowledge what you said about um, the certifications because I actually think that's what... A, allowed me to get clear on the kind of coach I wanted to be, and B, has allowed me to distinguish myself in the coaching industry. And that's, I am certified as a somatic experiencing practitioner. I've been trained in polarity and interrelationship focusing. And these are all forms of how to support the regulation of your nervous system and your energy system. Mm -hmm. And 
that's the thing and the premise of my coaching that I think has made the work so powerful, which is there is a relationship between the cognitive, your nervous system, your emotional system, your energy system. And that what we do is we really look at the relationship between it so that you can make the most informed decisions, that we can help you clear what's getting in the way for you um, in order to move forward. That isn't just cognitive. And I think sometimes the coaching industry really lives in the cognitive realm, especially in the corporate world. And that is definitely not what we offer. We offer, I would, I guess you could say a holistic approach, which is our magic. Yeah. Yeah. And how does that, when you, when you have um, the cognitive brain and the nervous system kind of working together as opposed to butting heads or, or I guess fighting against each other, which I think is where most people are at, what starts to shift? Let's talk about a specific example, because I think it's, it's hard to understand unless we have specifics. So, um, one thing I love to do with clients and, and usually you can tell there's a conflict between your cognitive brain and your nervous system or your energy system when you are trying to do something that isn't happening. So, um, for, you know, like the easiest example is I want to go to the gym. I never get to the gym. But let's, you know, take a more sophisticated client example, which is one of my clients. um, She just couldn't finish a project. It was a very big project, a very sexy, high profile project, and she could not get it over the finish line. And there were, um, you know, implications as a result. And so there was a lot on the line. And she was like, I know I need to do this. I know I want to do this. And I literally cannot like she would just get in her own way. And so we started by, I said, okay, let's have a conversation with your nervous system. What happens for you when you even think about finishing the project? What do you notice in your body? She's like, everything gets tense. It clenches up. It's like "Mm, my jaw, my back. And I said, okay, if we have a little vacuum cleaner and we just sucked out that tension and spit it out on the floor next to you. What form does it take? Does it have a color, uh, a body, an avatar? And she's like, oh my God, it's a Ninja Turtle. And I was like, okay, great, cool. Um, and she's like, yeah, and he has nunchucks. We couldn't remember which Ninja Turtle that was, but she, I was like, all right, let's, why don't we have a conversation with him? Because there is always wisdom in that piece. If it's the cognitive, it's if it's the body, there's a reason why what's happening is happening. And so we really wanted to understand where the Ninja Turtle was coming from. And we said, hey, hey, buddy, thanks for joining us. Thanks for showing up. How are you taking care of our client today? What are you doing for her? And he's like, oh, I'm in charge of protecting her. Like, you know, I'm, I'm the protector and you're welcome, basically a very big kind of tip on his shoulder about it. Right. And so to answer a question, the first step is a conversation. We need to know what is the wisdom that the body is carrying because that is not going away, whether we want it to or not, right. <laughs> we we can't just push that away. We need to understand what it has to offer. And then we need to understand what is making it like dig its heels in. And so as we were talking with the Ninja Turtle, he was, he had a lot of clear points as to why this project was not 
protecting her. It was going to increase her visibility. It was, you know, there was no clear safety net, you know, in her stepping into the completion of this project. And so then it's really a conversation. It's updating the operating system. He's operating with old information. She's done a lot of work to get where she is. She understands she's a, she's an adult version of herself instead of a kid. And so then it's, how do we help the Ninja Turtle now know with updated information, what does protection actually look like? How can we lean into him? How can he actually be of service versus getting in the way? And so that's really the ongoing work is having cultivating a relationship with him, giving him a new job. And, and I, it's so incredible how much the nervous system shifts when we have these kinds of conversations. It's so powerful. And mm -hmm. so not only would she be able to complete the project, she completed it with flying colors. And the new process is when she feels that tightness, when she feels that clenching, particularly in moments when she's trying to get something done, she checks in, hey, hey, buddy, what are you doing for me right now? Help me understand how you're taking care of me. Let's have a conversation. Let me tell you what I want and we can see how to go from there. I love exactly what you're saying because I've seen this happen uh, with some of my clients too. And it's, it's so cool. Have not ever had anybody come up with a Ninja Turtle of like the thing that's kind of keeping me safe and stuck, but I love that your client was able to like identify and give it a kind of a form and a shape and a, a personality. And for me, it's almost like the ego's way of keeping you in the same space as opposed to allowing you to move forward and really step into that next level of, of what's available for you. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I would, I pause at the ego because we have so much judgment about the ego. I would even yeah. say, I like to say it's a survival mechanism okay. because it's, Better. It, it's protected us. I mean, it was cultivated at such a young age, you know, that it has kept us so safe. And so I feel like we're, we're totally saying the same thing in terms of Right. It has been a protector. Yeah. And it, and the thing that I think is so important that actually shifts the relationship is acknowledging how much it takes care of us and the wisdom it has. You know, one of the chapters in the book that I write about is changing your survival mechanisms to superpowers mm -hmm. because those survival mechanisms have such stunning wisdom that there's so much to mine there. It's just, we got to put it in the right context. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you and I take it a step further. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. And for me too, like, I really try to pay attention to, uh, my body because it, it yeah. will tell me when like everything I'm on the wrong track, I'm tired and I shouldn't be, you know, continue trying to push. And, yeah. um, and I have a client who, uh, runs a wellness studio and, I love on our group calls because when we have questions that everybody's answering, she really sits in her space mm -hmm. to um, get in touch with, with what her internal voice is saying. And mm -hmm. she's learned to really use that as her guidepost. So it takes her a little bit longer to come up with the answer, but everybody else is now starting to follow along with her more mm -hmm. so they're starting to check in because she's honored that she you know takes her 10 seconds more to 
really have the answer that's most meaningful in our group calls, which allows her then to succeed even more. So I, I think there's- so I love much- that exercise. That's, I mean, I and what I love about that is twofold. One, it is the self-awareness of not in, immediately reacting and to the ripple effect it's had that she's given permission to everybody else to do it as well. And I feel like that is exactly- the example of the power of when a leader changes, that yeah. there's permission giving even that other folks can do it differently. And um, I think that's that's why the impact is so big when you work on yourself, mm-hmm. that like everyone around you benefits. Right, right, right. And just to circle back a little bit, um, so hopefully I'm completing kind of the thought for everybody if it, if it hasn't com- it hasn't totally registered with the example that you gave with your client by being able to identify the ninja turtle she's able to cognitively have a like a thing like have a place to kind of create this personality and this other piece of her that the cognitive brain can understand and by accepting that then the nervous system starts to calm down and release so then you can move forward and do the thing that you want to do or that now becomes available to you. Yeah. So if, if that feels less accessible, if, if you're not a visual person, I have a client who um, actually sees herself as pre-marriage client, post-marriage client, post-divorce client. And like she has their, she has their different names because if they have different last names. And so it's really whatever version of you that, that translates that you can, yeah, start to create a relationship to is what's important. And the one thing I will say um, to really drive this point home is in somatic experiencing, they talk about the power of mirror neurons. Biologically, when we, when our system views a system that is more settled, that is more loved, that is happier, our system settles, our system feels more loved, our system feels happier. When we engage with the Ninja Turtle in a kinder and loving way, our system feels it because it is being mirrored back. And so one of the things I like to say, actually, is if we are struggling to be kind to that survival mechanism, that ninja turtle, which I really want to normalize, usually our survival mechanisms are the things we often really dislike about ourselves because it's getting in the way now for us, even though it's taking care of us. It's hard for us to be kind and loving to that part. We usually want to be like, just please get away. If we can't be kind and loving to visualize someone who you know can be kind and loving, it might be a superhero or the Dalai Lama or your best friend. If you can visualize that, your body's mirror neurons will settle. It's so crazy and so cool. So yes, I I hope this closes the loop on what you're saying. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm like, yes, let's do this. <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> yes. Like to me, it totally makes sense. And if this is the first time you're hearing or thinking about this conversation, it can be, I think a lot to take in and really be able to start to internalize and make little shifts even on your own. 
Exactly. Yeah. One other example I'll give so that, you know, it gets the wheels turning for folks listening is I had a client who would really get uncomfortable when she walked into the boardroom to talk about how the company was doing. And she identified that that part was her little girl. And so it was too much for her to visualize her little girl sitting next to her. Like that was too much. So she sent her little girl off to the Weasleys. I don't know if anyone reads Harry Potter, but like, it's a very sweet, loving household. So she had this visualization of her little girl going to the loving household with the Weasleys while she stood in the board meeting and, and just the power of that. It allowed her to really be in her body and her adult self. That is fantastic. I want to shift gears a little bit. What was the catalyst for writing the book, How You Are is How You Lead? That's a great question because I did it after um, post, like literally while I was postpartum with my second child, we were moving, we were buying a house. I can't believe that this was the time that I decided to do this. I, I think it was just within me. But the reason for the book itself is it feels so often, um, coaching at this level is really done behind closed doors. And there's a reason. Um, when you're the leader of an organization, it doesn't feel safe to talk to a colleague or come, you know, there's a certain, first of all, level of confidence that feels important to admit. It also, there's certain conversations that is are inappropriate to be having with the people who work for you or even colleagues. And so it has been closed door conversations in terms of these important conversations that are happening with um, executive coaches and particularly with MetaWorks. And I kept hearing from folks, I don't know what it is you're doing, but it's magic. Please keep doing it. And it felt like, well, actually, this isn't magic. And it felt really important to share these conversations with folks who who haven't had access to this yet or who may not know what this could look like or what the possibilities are. And it really breaks, the book breaks down the MetaWorks method. So you can actually start experimenting with this yourself if you're not yet ready to work with a coach or you're not in that position, that it really allows accessibility to those kinds of conversations. Each chapter is about a client conversation as well as a tool. And so at the end of each chapter, you can really play with the tool that you're learning about on yourself. And so there's an opportunity to experiment with these tools. Um, and that felt really important because it felt like kind of a very, really good kept secret that didn't need to be. Right, right. Um, I'm curious too, because you just said in your writing process, um, you just said that you were moving, you were postpartum, a lot going on. Did you have a structure for writing the book or did it flow out of you? Um, I'm a very structured person. And I, I say in, I think it's the forward, I say, I had a copywriter. And that is just very deeply aligned with my the premise of my work, which is stand in your zone of genius and delegate everything else. With that being said, having a copywriter does not make the book less work. It just changes the kind of work, I think, because you still have to have the vision make sure that your voice is captured. You know, we did, I think, four iterations per chapter. So the way I structured it actually is first we did a, a vision board. What did I want this book to accomplish? Who did I want it to talk to? How, how, what did I want to capture? 
And then from the vision board, we broke down what each chapter should be and full transparency for anyone who wants to write a book. It is not necessarily a linear process, even if it's the structured process, because those chapters change several times. We deleted chapters, we changed chapters, we changed client stories um, as the work began. But I was very structured and detail-oriented in terms of our dates. Every two weeks, we were either working on a chapter draft or working on a new draft while we were editing an old draft. And so I really stuck within the confines of a year because I knew if I didn't have a deadline, I wouldn't necessarily get it done. And so that was really important to me, sticking to that cadence. I think we were actually very um, on point about the structure. Um, Yeah. Uh, I have a girlfriend who's, I think she's finished writing the second book, but had a copywriter for this book. And she said it's been far more difficult than writing it on her own. And it's been such an incredible learning process not only in how to communicate her vision and what she was looking for to the person who was helping her write, but the outcome of the book is so much better than what she would have produced alone. Yeah. yeah and that's, I mean, that's the premise of working with a team. Like yeah. that's the power of a team. When you think of musicians, those musicians that we listen to, I mean, they have teams of people working on lyrics, writing bridges, workshopping the song. That's what you can do as an entrepreneur, as a leader of a company. In fact, it's not just that there isn't any shame, but that's like the smart way to go. And I, that's such a beautiful way that your friend described it, because I feel very similarly, actually, that it was a great deal of work. And I'm very proud of the outcome. That's awesome. Well, I'm going to have to get it because, and I'm not quite clear why I didn't order it when we did last time. No, no, no. My team should have sent you one. So um, please follow up with that. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. Where do you see yourself and MetaWorks in the next like three to five years? Like, what's the big vision? Mm, I so appreciate that question, actually, because I am in a moment of real change, actually. Um, For almost, I guess it's almost been 10 years now, we've been working with leaders in tech. And Over the last couple of years, I think this book really kind of accelerated the process. I've been leaning into really the alternative work I do behind the scenes that I wasn't talking about, but that that earned us such a strong reputation in tech. And I'm really ready to own it more. We do somatic experiencing work. We do energy work. We want you to lean into your spiritual experience. And um, in redefining how we're talking about it, something we've always been doing, but really talking about it differently. I'm really examining who we're working with and who our target audience is. And um, there are some leaders in tech where that really appeals. And I, I want to continue working with those leaders. And the folks that it doesn't appeal to, I think I'm becoming clear is less my ideal client. And so we're really in a pivot point about who do we want to talk to? in our marketing, in our, um, you know, complimentary content. And who do we want to invite into our world? Um, I think it's still folks who are very successful um, because we really work with the upper echelons of people and uh, folks who are deeply interested in examining their inner world in a way they might not have otherwise. So 
I'm really sitting with myself about how do I want to show up in my company in this way? Who do I want to work with? And who do we want to be? I feel like this is, I'm a very goal-oriented person. I think I told you I, I thrive on structure and I'm really, for the first time in my life, sitting in the question instead of the answer. So I'm very curious to see what unfolds. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I really appreciate one, you sharing that, but two, like being comfortable in making the pivot. Mm. It's really easy just to keep doing the thing that you've been doing that's working. Yeah. And it takes a lot of courage to be open to and shifting and going into a slightly different direction so that you can really help more people. I really appreciate you saying that because it is very uncomfortable. What's interesting though, is it's worse. I viscerally cannot just keep doing what we're doing. I I literally physically cannot. And so that's where it was like my body is you were saying your body is so wise and I feel the same. And um, it's actually taken me a year to get clear, like, oh, this is, this really needs to happen. It needs to change. Um, And so the discomfort of pivoting is less than the discomfort of staying. And so that's why we're doing it. (laughs) I understand. And it's interesting for me too, because it takes, like in my head, it should just be like, all right, we're going to pivot. We'll change. Everything will just work out. But it does take a year. Sometimes it takes more than that. Yeah. And to be okay with that and not having the answer is, um, I think it's hard and, and strange. I guess it's uncomfortable. Not necessarily hard. Yes. I I would say, I think you, no, you used exactly the right adjectives. It is hard. It is strange. I'm very disoriented. It is uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it feels like a very interesting challenge. You know, I think that also is where I am in my life where, we haven't been so successful. It's working and I worked really hard for it. And now I'm like, what now? So what? You know, like kind of like a lot of my clients actually. Um, yeah. And so it does feel like really the right time to sit in a very different experience, which is, yeah. well, what do I want now that I have everything I want? I, what do I want? You know, and I, it's a very powerful, a very privileged place to be. So I am trying to lean into the discomfort as a result. And as you're doing that, your ability to serve expands. So I think that's the path. And I've been there. I mean, even currently there's a program that I had intended on launching a year ago and it hasn't Mm -hmm. happened because it doesn't feel right. And it's not the perfection piece for me. It's that the, I haven't figured out quite the right format that's going to actually help people. Yes. And I'm there, like I can feel it's like all coming together right now. But had I, and similar to your client, like had I just pushed, it wouldn't be what it's going to be. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And I feel like what you're talking about is that deep well of wisdom that is not easy to tap if you can't trust if you can't let go a little. And I feel like I I so appreciate what you're saying about it makes you be able to serve better because I do believe that 
only we can only offer what we've been through. And for us to be able to cultivate that trust in that deeper inner well of wisdom allows us to know someone else can do it and hold that space for them. And I just, even as you're talking about this, I can feel the energy shifting. I feel like you're even you're talking about your own inner well of wisdom has been an offering to me. So thank you. Well, you're welcome. You're welcome. I have so loved our conversation. Rachel, where can everybody connect with you? Um, you can find us at metaworks.io, M-E-T-T-A-W-O-R-K-S.io. We're also on Instagram, meta.works. Although we are small there, really, you can find us on LinkedIn. You can find me at Rachel Ryder on LinkedIn or our company page, MetaWorks. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And then the book we can get at Amazon. and yeah. Amazon, Goodreads, Barnes & Noble, who you are is how you lead. Check it out. Yeah, I'm going to get it. So thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. It was such a pleasure. It's my hope that you find at least one nugget of value in each episode of Women Who Build Empires. And if that's true, please follow and share Women Who Build Empires with your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcast. Your support is what will help this podcast be found by more women just like you.